From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Growing concerns about far-right extremists in Australia has led to the creation of a new federal inquiry to examine the threat and how to respond to it. But the inquiry has revealed that one police force is significantly out of step with our national security agencies. Today, Osman Faruqi on the emboldened far-right movement in Australia and whether enough is being done to counter them. Oz, this week you reported on some activities involving a far-right group in Sydney. Can you tell me about what you found? Yeah, so a couple of weekends ago, a group of about 10 far-right activists went on a hike in the bush in northern Sydney. And they were members of a far-right group called the National Socialist Network. It's a relatively new group. It's only a few years old. And during that hike, the members sort of started wearing balaclavas covering their face. They were wearing all black and they were holding up a flag of the group. And they took a photo and they posted that on their social media channels. That whole activity might sound like a pretty innocuous affair, but why this is so significant is that it comes off the back of a similar march organised by the National Socialist Network in Victoria back in January. And that one involved 30 members and it involved them heading to the Grampians in Western Victoria. And on that trip... German national Saskia Alling moved to Victoria. This is the last thing she thought she'd encounter. We heard them starting to yell, Heil Hitler. They conducted training... They raised Nazi salutes. Some are wearing army fatigues and all are covering their faces. They chanted white supremacist and anti-Semitic slogans and they did all of this while marching through the village of Halls Gap in broad daylight. They were doing the Hitler salute to people in town, to just randoms, to everyone who walked past them. And, you know, after that activity, they posted photos of themselves on social media again, including one of them in front of a burning cross. They burn a cross, raise their arms in Nazi salutes and record this video. Right. Wow. Okay. And so what was the the fallout from that? Did police do anything? Did anyone do anything? So a lot of the locals in Halls Gap and around the Grampians very concerned when they saw this and they called police. Victoria police said that they did investigate and they spoke to some people, but they determined that no laws were broken and that was basically the end of it. But the the fact that these public activities seem to be getting more and more common, that's concerned a lot of experts. And they're saying that it demonstrates a shift in their strategy and shows how they're adopting an aggressive, more bold kind of approach, one that is much more highly public and visible. And they're showing greater signs of strength than in the past. Okay, and so when you say that these things are becoming more common and the approach that these far-right groups are taking is becoming more bold, is there a way to quantify that? Do we know just how much more common they're becoming? Yeah, so there's quite a few different far-right groups in Australia operating right now, and the National Socialist Network is probably the most visible of these groups. And it in particular has been growing quite a bit lately, especially in terms of its social media presence and the amount of people who are joining and signing up to its channels and and those of some of its more prominent members. 
And a lot of that growth is really due to this increasingly aggressive public approach that they've taken. These people are cowards, they're vermin, they're rats. Last week, one of the group's key members was charged by police with a fray after he allegedly assaulted a black security guard at Channel 9's Melbourne headquarters. He was filming himself in the lobby of Channel 9. He was demanding to speak to journalists because The Current Affair was doing a story on the group at the time and he was escorted out by the security guard and that's when that confrontation occurred. I mean, sorry, you can't film in the building, bro. I don't touch you. I don't touch you, you can't film. The whole video was posted on his social media channel on Telegram, which is a social media site often used by the far right. It was then kind of re-syndicated by all kinds of media networks in Australia and around the world. You fucking touch me. That incident led to a 30% increase in his social media followers in just a few days after. Mm, Okay, and so can you tell me more about why we're seeing this happen at this particular moment in time? What is it that is is underpinning this? So far-right groups in Australia have been growing for the past few years, but a lot of the experts I've spoken to have detected a shift in the last few months, and they pin it to the Capitol protests in Washington, D.C., back on January 6th. They don't fix the shit! They say that has really kicked things up a notch, not just in the States, but here in Australia as well, with a lot of groups and activists looking overseas for inspiration. We saw far-right groups, most prominently the Proud Boys, take to the streets and essentially try and occupy Congress as part of this failed insurrection. And, you know, of course, we've seen the Proud Boys here in Australia as well. Quite a few of them took part in a public protest against an Invasion Day rally in Melbourne back in January 26th. And groups like the Proud Boys, but also the National Socialist Network, are kind of basically competing for attention and space by taking these more visible and public and aggressive strategies. And all of this stuff that's been bubbling away for the past few months has attracted the attention of politicians in Canberra as well. And so recently we've seen the establishment of a federal parliamentary inquiry examining radicalization and extremist political movements. Okay, so tell me more about this inquiry. So I've been reading through the submissions and there's quite a few of them from security agencies in Australia, uh, including ASIO and the Australian Federal Police. But one that really stood out to me was the submission made by Victoria Police. And I was particularly interested in reading that submission because Victoria is where so much of what we've been talking about is happening, from the the march in the Grampians to the assault of the security guard at Channel 9 to the Proud Boys on the streets of Melbourne. And so while those groups have been adopting a much more aggressive stance in Victoria... The submission from Victoria Police is actually drawing this equivalence between the far right and the far left. And it's even suggesting that it's the far left that are the ones who are feeding the growth of the right. And this was pretty fascinating to read because it's significantly different from the stance taken by other security agencies in the country. And it suggests that perhaps if there is this disagreement on the way to approach this issue, we might not be doing everything we can or should to tackle white supremacy. We'll be back after this.
As a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points. Sign up today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Oz, we're talking about the federal parliamentary inquiry, which is examining extremist political movements. You've been looking into Victoria Police's submission to this inquiry. Can you tell me more about what you've discovered? Yeah, so in their submission, they equate the threat from the far left and the far right quite a few times. You know, for example, Victoria Police write at one point, it's important to acknowledge that the threat of terrorism can come from multiple sources and be inspired by a range of ideological political causes. They say that the emerging right-wing form of violent extremism interplays with left-wing forms of violent extremism and in fact says that right-wing extremism doesn't exist in a vacuum and is directly influenced by what they describe as a symbiotic relationship with left-wing extremism. It's a pretty extraordinary amount of times that the Victoria Police Submission goes out of its way to caveat references to right-wing extremism with references to left-wing extremism. And when, you know, the, the kind of, I guess, the genesis of this inquiry is particularly looking at the risk of violent extremist attacks and says that, you know, whilst there's been violent conflict at organized right-wing extremist events and demonstrations, it also says that Victorian-based left-wing extremist groups are mimicking overseas movements, and it specifies Antifa. And Antifa is a reference to, I guess, decentralized political movement that is trying to combat the far right and fascism. That's what Antifa means. It's an abbreviation for anti-fascist. But the term has kind of become this amorphous one used by security agencies around the world to refer to a bunch of different left-wing groups and activists. And in fact, most people have probably heard about it because Donald Trump used to love talking about Antifa. And vandalism is being led by Antifa and other radical left-wing groups who are terrorising the innocent, destroying jobs. He sort of threw it around like this sort of bogeyman as a way to downplay the threat from the far right. You know, whenever people would say, Donald Trump, you've got to condemn the far right, he would say, sure, but what about Antifa? What about those far left violent actors as well? I am concerned about the rise of any group of hate. I don't like it. Any group of hate, I am, whether it's white supremacy, whether it's any other kind of supremacy, whether it's Antifa, whether it's any group... In fact, the whole Victoria police submission has this kind of Trumpian logic to it. It's this idea that you can't mention the threat from the far right without also talking about the threat from the far left. So is it only Victoria Police then that are making this distinction or equivalence between right-wing and left-wing terrorism? In terms of the submissions we've got so far, that seems to be the case. And that seems to be the case just judging by public comments made by other security agencies as well. So the most detailed submission made so far is from ASIO, who are Australia's domestic spy agency. And ASIO says that it's concerned with the threat posed by both small groups and lone actors who are inspired to 
conduct a potential violent attack and says those threats are difficult to detect and they can emerge without any kind of forewarning. And that's something that ASIO has actually been saying for a couple of years since the Christchurch attacks when an Australian far-right extremist murdered more than 50 Muslims. And ASIO has previously revealed that up to 40% of its counter-terrorism caseload at the moment relates to right-wing extremism. So they're being very clear that there is a problem with right-wing extremism. It needs to be tackled and they're spending a fair amount of resources on it. It's also said that in its submission, left-wing extremism is not really a current prominent issue in Australia. The Australian Federal Police have echoed a lot of what ASIO said in its submission, and in fact, it doesn't even mention left-wing extremism at all. But Victoria Police say something very, very different. Mm. And so what evidence does Victoria Police have then for saying that the two are sort of equivalent? Well, one example that the Victoria Police submission gives of apparent, you know, potentially violent left-wing extremism is this example of protest movements that it say might include fringe elements who may be inclined to engage in forms of violence, including acts of terrorism. But it doesn't actually specify who they are. It doesn't say what those movements are or what kind of attacks they might be organising. It seems to make this kind of oblique reference to the Black Lives Matter protesters last year. Victoria Police said that left-wing groups had been particularly vocal in calling for action and encouraging unlawful activity during the pandemic. So that was a reference to, I think, the fact that the Black Lives Matter protest was something that was very heavily dissuaded by Victoria Police because it was occurring during, you know, the pandemic when there were concerns about large public gatherings. So that's the clearest example they give. And that kind of does stand in contrast with what I've heard from experts who monitor both the far left and the far right quite closely. They say there's no evidence that any left-wing group in Australia is organising in the same way as the far right, and there's no evidence that they're trying to organise around violent activity. Mm. And I suppose that's the point here, because it seems like, from what you're saying, that Victoria Police, their position is a bit of an outlier here, and it doesn't match what the AFP and what ASIO are saying about extremism. So what do you think is going on here? Why is there this split, and what, what might the effect of it be? I think that's a it's a really good question. It's one that I've been thinking about a lot since seeing this disparity between the submissions and, and the disparity in the analysis between groups like ASIO, the AFP, and Victoria Police. And I think part of it comes down to the fact that those national security agencies have a lot of analysts and researchers and people whose job it is to basically focus in on extremism and particularly on the extreme right. When it comes to an organisation like Victoria Police, on the other hand, it's not clear how much time and expertise is being brought into those conversations. You know, I asked Victoria Police a range of questions about how many people they had specifically working on countering the far right, how many organisations they were working with, the kind of resources they were putting into tackling far right extremism. And they didn't respond to my specific questions. They just said that they wouldn't comment specifically on ongoing activities of far right groups, except to say that they closely monitor a range of groups. And that to me raises some alarm bells. As we saw from the incidents earlier this year, particularly that really shocking event in the Grampians that was investigated by police and ultimately no charges were laid, when it comes to dealing with this stuff on the front line, it's often state police agencies. In the case of Victoria, it's Victoria Police. It's their job to deal with people when they're organising protests, when they're taking part in organised training activities in the regional areas of Victoria. 
And while they're adopting the same kind of rhetoric as Donald Trump, it raises questions about whether they're going to be taking the threat of the far right as seriously or responding as thoroughly as they should. Oz, thanks for your time. Thanks heaps, Ruby. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship, and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Also in the news today, the Victorian Premier, Daniel Andrews, remains in intensive care in a Melbourne hospital after injuring himself in a fall. The Premier has a fractured vertebra in his spine. He's being examined further to determine whether he requires surgery. And Christian Porter won't be returning to work in time for next week's Parliament sitting, meaning that the government is short a Leader of the House as well as an Attorney-General. Porter is currently on mental health leave after being accused and denying a rape allegation. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.